Welcome to the Art School Podcast. I'm Ken Goshen. Today, we are touching on a topic that is pressing and urgent for many of us. Can we paint without using solvents? As you know, solvents are harmful to our health, and eliminating or reducing their usage should be on everyone's agenda. But how can we do it? We will be diving deeply into this question and providing actionable technical insights you can start using pretty much as soon as you finish this episode. I hope you find this information as valuable as I did. Stay tuned. My guest today is Kimberly Brooks. Kimberly is a contemporary American artist and author. Her work has been exhibited and featured internationally. She's the founder and former arts editor at the Huffington Post, and today she hosts monthly artist talks at First Person Artist. Brooks is the author of the fantastic book titled The New Oil Painting, which is at the center of today's conversation. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by the generosity of my Patreon supporters. You may have noticed that I haven't released an episode since December. This is actually the first episode of 2022. Crazy, right? I'm sorry that I can't produce more of these at the moment. I simply can't afford to do much more at the current level of listener support. Full transparency here, making a living as an artist is fairly difficult. And unfortunately, it means passion projects like this podcast don't find themselves at the top of the priority list. The only way I can devote more time to producing this show is if many more of you decide to become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Ken Goshen. By doing that, you'll be supporting my mission of making art education maximally affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to learn all over the world. For example, this April, my Patreon supporters are getting four live painting lessons for the price of $2. That's a quarter per live painting lesson, where you get to watch me explain my every move and ask me any questions you have. And even if you don't want to attend lessons, you can still sign up to support all the content I release for free on Instagram, YouTube, and of course, this podcast. Allow me to illustrate a dream future I believe we can live in. If just 5% of my Instagram followers decided to become Patreon supporters, I'd have the budget to hire a production team to handle the podcast operation. And I could also provide free online painting and drawing lessons to anyone who wants to learn anywhere in the world. If we were to dream even bigger, let's imagine 20% of my Instagram followers decided to become Patreon supporters. Well, in this future, I could open an in-person school where tuition would be free. Ideally, I'd like all my educational services to be free, but this can only happen if we come together as a community and make it possible. I can't do this without you. In case you're wondering what percent of my Instagram followers are currently Patreon supporters, the answer is around 0.3%. That's less than half of 1%. So if you want to help me do more cool, fun stuff, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash Ken Goshen. And to those of you who are already signed up, please know that it's incredibly appreciated. And now I bring you my conversation with Kimberly Brooks. So, Kimberly, thank you so much for taking the time for doing this. Thank you for having me. It's been so lovely reading your book. Thank you so much for sending it over. I just want to, before we dive into it, which is what I want this, the majority of this conversation to be, perhaps you can just give us a little bit of an elevator bio so that our listeners could get to know you. Well, I'm a painter, first and foremost, and I've been painting for 30 years and, you know, give or take. And uh, a majority of that time I was using solvents when I painted. And this isn't my painter bio. This is just sort of the genesis of the book. And um, I am known for my work in series and lands and I 
paint and landscape and I do a lot of um, architectural work. And I used to do, I did portraits for just 10 years, portraiture, not painting, not necessarily commissions, but um, I've sort of been all around the subject landscape that involves painting. And around 15 years into it, I started to have trouble breathing. I didn't have the greatest ventilation in my studio and I was always very experimental. And so I said, one day it got so bad that I had to, I had to say, this is really like my lungs hurt, you know, and I felt like, and I always had a taste at the end of my tongue at the end of the day when I left the studio. So I basically started to just do all this research and it was around 2008, which was when blogging became a thing. And I noticed that there were other people like in the wilderness of the internet that were also talking about what is this stuff that we get at the art store called artist medium. And, you know, we all learned the Ralph Mayer way of a third Damar, a third Terp, a third Lindsay, you know, various things like that. And I just wanted to dig into it better. And, um, that led me on this journey to writing this book called The New Oil Painting, which is all about why artists don't need to use all that toxic stuff. And it's like, I just sort of happened to be really looking at this at the exact same time that modern science was also looking at it. And I was able to validate, you know, a lot of hunches really. And so that's how the book came about. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> well, we're we're diving into the we're already diving into the book, but it's okay because I have an appetite for it. So maybe you can you can tell us a little bit about what the research for this book looked like because it's when I was reading your book, I was I was just so happy to see something that is so thoroughly researched. So perhaps you could take us a little bit into the process of what what happened behind the scenes of this book. Well, I mean Well, what happened, if I could give a little backstory, I was in high school when maybe I was, it was even a little bit earlier, my father, who was a surgeon uh, named Leonard Schlein, and he was researching a book called Art and Physics, the parallels between art and science. And I was his reader, so I would read it, and it was it, that's also incredibly thoroughly researched. And he basically traces the history of art and the history of science, and he sort of says that artists and scientists see, speak the same language, but artists tend to say it first, you know, in the zeitgeist. And you know, so I was really familiar with, um, intimately familiar with what the process of what what it looks like when you're writing a book and and how you have stacks and stacks of book row by your bedside and at all your tables because you you follow everything to the very end you know so that is I think one of the beginning stories of how this book came to be um and I remember he had to get the images for famous paintings in history like Manet's Le Déjeuner Solaire at the Musée d'Orsay and the Mona Lisa And I was in Europe in college in one summer and he, there was no internet back then. And he, he charged me with going into in line to the, you know, the back rooms of the museum to get permission to use the rights to the Mona Lisa for the book, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, research. And because he came to it from a scientific background um, and he was this great intellectual who 
on the one hand would be operating all day, but then at night would be talking about how cubism and Einstein's theory of relativity were connected. You know, uh, I think you would love this book, by the way. So, um, so when I was writing this book, I actually, I started to write this huge book about painting and I divided it into three sections. It was in the mind, in the studio, in the world, you know, because this, there's so many different components to, to painting, to being a painter. And the studio section kept growing and growing and growing because when I teach painting, I just felt like there were so many things that people, just basic things that people never talked about, like grounds and when to use which kind of brushes and bristle versus hair. And I mean, just little, the little teeny little things. And um, the books that were out there were either highly technical with no images, or they had images of bad landscape painting, you know, with a barn and a haystack and show how do you do composition. And I just felt like, I want a book that I can curl up with to understand all this nitty gritty. And uh, furthermore, I must say, I was an English major in college and an architecture minor. And so I had a little book always by my desk called Strunk and Whites. It was called The Elements of Style. by by, um, And it's kind of a cool book because it's about grammar. It's like what every New York Times writer will have by his desk, you know, just to make sure you're, you're using your prepositions in your and your, and your verbs and your tenses correctly and everything like that. But it's kind of funny too. It's sort of, it's a great little book. So I thought, I wish I had this for oil painting, just for oil painting. Like, tell me everything I want to know about um, the different kinds of mediums, the different kinds of uh, the, how pigments came to be like, why are, why are paintings brighter today than they were you know, hundreds of years ago and what, what the significance of the change of the color blue and, you know, what was that, what that was all about. So, so I, it's just, it's what I wanted and that's how it came to be. And then as a, for the more technical aspects, I partnered with a, um, I had a, a organic chemistry professor from Stanford um, confirm all the research that I was gathering. Plus um, there's an amazing book by Tad Spurgeon called living craft, which he was one, I don't know if you've read it, but he was one of the, you know, the forefathers of look, taking a second look at what we all presume to be true, Mm -hmm. you know, with regard to oil painting. And I wanted to make something really accessible that you, that anybody could pick up. That would be like a non-painter could pick up and say, this is cool. I want to know more. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. I think you did exactly that. And the book is called The New Oil Painting, Your Essential Guide to Materials and Safe Practices. So before we dive right in, 
you you detail in the book a kind of eureka moment that you had that really made you want to focus on safe practices. Can you give us that little bit of the story? For sure. I was working on this. I was going through a phase. You know how when you are painting and you want to make the material feel less precious so you don't want to be uptight when you approach it. You just want to dive in there. I was stapling raw primed canvas to not raw canvas, but primed canvas to a wall in my studio. And I tried to do a whole, I did a whole show like that. Cause I thought, Oh, you know, if I mess up or if I don't like it, or if I attack it or drawn it or whatever, you know, it'll make me freer. That was my thinking, but it also kind of wedged me into the corner of a space that wasn't very well ventilated, you know, the whole, but it was ventilated. So it wasn't even that. And I was using a lot of cadmium, liquid, um, you know, just a lot of, definitely a lot of OMS. Like I'd already gotten wise to not wanting to use thinner or normal turpentine. And I even didn't want to just use uh, the, the, the kind, the other greener types. So I thought OMS has the lowest evaporation rate by Gamsol. What is OMS for our listeners? Oh, oh, OMS is um, odorless mineral spirits. And it's, it's interesting because odorless mineral spirits is actually, it's also a solvent and it's not a turpentine, but it's really to dissolve alkids. But it was a formula created by the National Portrait Library. So it's like a free formula and um, Gamblin markets it under Gamsol which is odorless mineral spirits, OMS. And so it has, it's more expensive. It has a lower evaporation rate. And I just figured that's much safer than what I was using before, which was um, let's say odorless mineral spirits, uh, rather, no, no, excuse me. uh, The the terpenoid, you know, Mm -hmm. it was, Mm -hmm. I, I just, I looked up the evaporation rate. So I knew I was breathing less of it. But anyway, I was just using my usual slosh of things and I just had so much trouble breathing. And then finally I went outside and it was a really hot day and I put my hands on my knees and I was trying to take in deeper and deeper breaths. And it was just this overwhelming feeling like I'm poisoning myself. I have to stop painting this way. Like I have to really, I knew that I had hurt myself. You know, I just knew that I was poisoning my body. And I thought, I want to paint for the rest of my life. I've got so many more paintings in my body. I want to like live to a hundred. So I better figure this out. And um, around that time, I was the arts editor of the uh, the Huffington Post. I founded the art section because I was writing articles about art and interviewing other artists like you and, you know, various people for the Huffington Post. And um, Ariana said, you, you know... it it was just a general articles that I was writing. She's like, I said, I don't want to do it anymore because you guys don't have an art section. She's like, why don't you create it? So I was like, really, will will you let me do anything I want? Like anything. And they said, yeah. Like, and so I, I always thought I was going to get in trouble when I was doing that. But so I, I had, I reached out to people in this really highly specific area. And I said, would you like to write an article about what your opinions are about it? So I was reaching out to various artists and scientists. It's uh, I reached out to Tad Spurgeon, who wrote a beautiful article, James Elkins, who's the, um, 
He's the brilliant author of What Painting Is, which if your listeners haven't read that, it's such a brilliant book. He's one of my favorite art writers Um, and so many other people. And I started to see these overlapping, you know, valences of thinking about what was happening. And so that was my eureka moment. And and then then I went down the rabbit hole of water miscible oils and I thought, oh, that'll be the cure. And I went down to the art store and spent a small fortune on like, I give me the best, like, I want to know the best, like what, what's it Holbein, you know, just the really, really good stuff. But then when I was like reading more about that, I, the, we all get kind of addicted to that evaporation rate of terp because we like that, the ease with which we can slosh stuff on to, it's, it's, you know what it is? It's speed. We want the speed. You can just get down that layer faster. You know, I just did a, I just did a six by nine foot painting for this museum show that I had, and I didn't use a drop of solvent. It took me all day to tone it, but you know what? I that my room smells like my studio smells like I, my, a cup of coffee. It doesn't it has no smell that's bad, you know. So, um, so we get addicted to that, and I got pads of canvas paper to. Uh, so, oh, I know what I was going to say. The water miscible oils, using water to um, to dilute oil is, first of all, kind of a weird, like, I know a lot of people do it, but I think it's, it's they, there's literally an expression. It doesn't go together like oil and water, right? It just seems like, <laughs> it seems like, yeah, this doesn't seem right. And why, how come it works like this? And so they integrate just enough soap into the oil, a type of soap, maybe not Dove, but it's like a type of soap to make it so that it mixes. And I know a lot of people use it. And the other thing that um, that I became more and more conscious of is, and, and then I really, I gave, I gave acrylic a go. I even gave acrylic a go as a ground, you know, although I'm somewhat of a purist, so... I was thinking, well, you know, nobody's going to know it's acrylic on the bottom, but, but I get to still get that sloshy feeling, but do I like the fact that there's acrylic on the bottom, you know, of an oil painting? I don't know. I just, for me, it's sort of like would be wearing a polyester undergarment uh, with a silk on top. I don't know. I just felt like, I, I just feel like I wanted something really I wanted to keep it more in the oil family. Um, but the other thing I became very conscious of is the environment, obviously. And I was started to get into going for a zero waste studio environment. And so many people who start painting, they start with acrylic. It's almost like that's middle school and high school and college is oil. That's, you know what I mean? People mm-hmm. always think, oh, I think I'll take up painting. I'm going to go to the art store. Oh, I don't want to deal with all that smelly stuff. So I'm going to start with acrylic and it's easy. And I can just rinse off my brushes down the drain. And, you know, they just did a study recently where everybody's like babies, every excretion from their tears to everything else has microplastics in them. And when you're washing your brushes down the drain with all that acrylic, because you think it's the easy, you know, less harmful medium, you're literally putting it into the water supply. 
and it's already pre-made tiny little particles. And oil painters don't do that. They shouldn't anyway. It if you know how to clean your brushes, which is like another chap. I think it's a chapter. Yeah, we'll book. get there. We'll get there yeah. for sure. Yeah, but you know, like there's this myth that acrylic is the um, easier, safer thing. You know, and and so that's and then acrylic. Uh, that's a big subject between oil and acrylic because I know I have a friend who's a painter who switched from oil to acrylic but he also makes these very graphical paintings and he's not using oils really great for the atmospheric quality that you can get and glazing and layering, which is also often not, often not taught because people focus on a la prima because they're incorporating the quick drying solvent as a part of their thinking in terms of approaching a painting. But um, with regard to acrylic painting, I also found that for me, mixing color is like, it's like a mood. And when you, and so I remember at one time when I was in, and you know, I was using oils, but I spent all day trying to get the right color. This early on, I was like, I really like, how do I find this perfect? Like I need it. It's like a balance that's so precious in certain cases. And with acrylic, it just dried so fast. Like and I'd have to constantly remix it. So if, if you were to do like an equation of creativity, productivity, and time, and you were to take all the time you spend mixing the right color when you're painting with acrylic, you really lower your productivity because you have to recreate it. But if you save your paint and you put a little drop of walnut oil on it, you don't need to get in the mood all over again to get that color. You just literally just, it's there. You take, if a little film forms over it, you can just take a, a pin or a tweezer head, which I do. And I just squeeze out that color. And I, if I need to continue that thought on a painting, I can do that. Okay. So we opened a lot of threads over here and I, I could very easily go down the rabbit hole of preserving oil paint and bashing acrylic. But before we get there, I'm not, I'm not bashing. Acrylic. No, no, I, I am. I okay. Am. Okay. I will <laughs> putting words in your mouth, but I am, I'm well known for that. Um, but before that, I, I have, I believe we have everybody on the edge of their seat saying it seems like Kimberly is alluding to a possibility of painting without solvents. Maybe we can go into that and, and introduce the concept to everybody who, who is who is right now kind of eager, eager to get that. Okay, so um if I if if you'll indulge me in getting a little bit technical, just Please. a touch. Okay, so in every tube of paint is and every pigment has a different desire for how much oil it wants to be mixed with in order to stay mixed together because it's just you know little tiny little colored rocks but they all have different characteristics you know vermilion is different than a synthetic organic you know ultramarine blue which is different than an, an earth tone and every everybody's different right it's like you're having a dinner party and all these colors have different needs and wants and personalities so in each tube of paint, the paint manufacturer is going for a ratio and it's called PVC, pigment to volume ratio, which means that certain kinds of pigment want a certain kind of an amount of oil. And it's, it's, a, it's a delicate formula that paint manufacturers are really, really into. They would know what you were talking about. So inside the tube 
it's pretty much perfect. And each type of pigment has different characteristics that make it feel different. So like lead white, and that's like probably a whole other podcast. We could talk about lead white another day, but lead white, it's like ropey. Mm -hmm. And then many, and it used to be that they created, they added things to this delicate mixture to keep it mixed. And it used to be beeswax and Williamsburg still uses it, but then as modern organic chemistry and chemistry kind of got better. They started adding certain other things, which changes the texture of it to make it more buttery. So, you know, you know, if you've experimented with paint brands, you know, like some brands, they use different kinds of oils and everything. But so the volume in the word PVC is the oil part or or the oil and whatever additive you're going to add to it. Um, So if you just paint, if you just add oil, if you squirt out a tube of paint and you just add oil, it, your work is going to be too oily because you're tipping the balance. So you could paint without any medium, right? Um, and a lot of people were taught to paint with, this is, I mean, would you agree that a common cocktail is a third Damar or some kind of a resin, a third uh, turpentine? and a third linseed oil, some kind of a solvent, right? Okay, so this is based 100% on the misconception that you need resin in order to uh, slick out and thin out your paint. You know, that that resin is a part of the paint process because solvent dissolves resin. It does not... The only reason why you would use solvent is to dissolve resin. But the problem today is that many people, let's say, who don't use Damar resin or any kind of resin, they still use solvent to thin the oil and it weakens the bonds of the oil and it makes the paint film thinner and weaker. And so anyway, I know you're wanting me to get to the point. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm just, my job right now is to make sure that everybody's following along. So if you don't mind, I'm going to just do a little bit of a closed loop. So to everybody who's listening, what we're talking about is the function that solvent usually plays in our process is to thin out the paint, to make it very transparent, to make it loose, and to make it easily removable. This is something that a lot of us are almost religiously attached to. And what Kimberly here is explaining is how that became such a common practice. Um, But as you're going to explain very soon, this has not always been the case. It has not always been the case. And please carry on. Right. So, um, so it turns out that a lot of the old master techniques that were handed down master to apprentice were, was actually, um, there was a, there were, there were mysteries involved, you know? And so the more paint became accessible, the more the search for the old master techniques, the hunt began, you know? And so things were just assumed that were incorrect. And so I'm going to give the cure first because everybody's saying, well, then how do you do this without solvent? So how you do this without solvent is with chalk. And I know that sounds crazy because you think to yourself, you mean that stuff that my teachers in school and elementary school would, you know, put on the chalkboard. Yeah. That, that kind of chalk. Um, 
there's different types of chalks and it's has many different names. It's calcite, it's CaCO2, uh, it's calcium carbonate rather, it's, um, it's stone, you know, and it's basically a invisible pigment. It has, because of refraction and various chemical properties, when it mixes with oil, it becomes clear. Think about that. Chalk and oil becomes clear. So what does that mean? It means that you can preserve a PVC, the right ratio that the pigment wants to be with oil by adding an invisible pigment to it. And then it makes the medium, it makes when you spread the paint, it makes it transparent. And the more chalk you add, the more transparent it gets. And, you know, I didn't believe it. I thought, I thought this can't be, this can't be this simple. This can't be, you know, it's just not possible. So I did all these experiments and I thought, well, it's clearly going to make the paint lighter. And I was like, it's not making the paint lighter. You know, it's, it's literally making it clearer and it's. And stronger. And stronger and stronger. And, you know, chalk loves oil. It's oleophilic. It's like what they use to make cement. It makes it so strong. It's what they use to spray over oil spills because it just, when they clean off the birds, it just sucks the oil off the bird. It's this, this is an amazing, simple substance. So I have like a tub of marble dust. Um, and I, you know, I used to get the kind from Kremer and I like, I also love natural pigments. Now my students tell me that they're having trouble getting it. And I have this fantasy is that so many people are reading my book and they're, they're making a run on calcite, (laughs) (laughs) but um, it took me around six months to truly wean myself, like to get a different headset on about thinning versus making more clear, thinning the, the texture of the paint and making it more clear. And so when I go into the studio, I don't, I don't, I, I still have solvent around if I want to get a very specific effect that I want people to see, like a specific type of, you know, when you have um, a, a, a toned canvas and there's like a type of run on it that you want as a part of it, you know, I will use a dropper of solvent just to have around, but like, I haven't used it in over a year. So and so that's that's the thing. And, and this, by the way, 2008 was the time that they republished the making of a Rembrandt. So in the making of a Rembrandt, which was published like in 1996, they said, oh, you know, Rembrandt clearly used a third to Mars third, you know, whatever that it was the famous uh, it was the famous cocktail that we were all taught to use. And then they updated their microscopes on the same film of Rembrandt um, of the picture. And they noticed that it was just oil and chalk and like a little bit of egg yolk, you know, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and they had, a, they had to republish the book and update the intro. And it's funny because it like looked like a book, like a normal book and even had, you know, maybe the same cover. But to me, it was like a book on fire with super important information. So I said, I said, okay, so this is all. So I'm, it, it keeps getting confirmed, you know, it keeps getting confirmed. And then, and now it's becoming, I mean, there's still art schools where you walk into the studios and you, you're going to pass out 
And yeah, so that's the secret. And I don't want it to be a secret anymore. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. And perhaps uh, in, in the goal of making it less of a secret, could you go into a little bit of the technicality of adding the chalk to the paint? How do you make your putty? Uh, maybe give us a little bit of something that people can try. Well, okay. So can we just talk about linseed oil for a second? It's such an amazing, it's such an amazing um, binder. It's such a cool binder. It's like the revolutionary binder that made people say, wow, we can paint on soft surfaces which I mean, it's not good for the painting in the long run, but it meant that they could make these huge epic paintings like from the Renaissance and roll them up and you could paint them in one Florence and send them to Rome. And, you know, just because with egg tempura, which was usually, which was how they were making these very fine detailed portraits before they were looking for a way to secure where the pigment stayed because it would otherwise be not unsafe from water, but you had to paint on, on a hard surface. So linseed oil was like Steve jobs in the black turtleneck of like, I'm kind of holding up the iPhone for the first time. Like that was like oil painting was a technology, a technical revolution. And there's different types of linseed oil. There's, um, and, and the highest quality comes from Sweden and like Northern climates, you know? And so if you want to spend a lot of time, like nerding out about this movement that's going on where people will paint their houses, they're, they're saying, we don't use plastic paint. We use oil-based paint and linseed oil is also used to cure the wood on ships, like a certain type of linseed oil that drives us like boiled linseed oil. And that you can't get it in the art store. They don't sell it in the art store, which is interesting. Like they, there's just so many things that you'd have to go to the hardware store, but the hardware store also isn't good because it's not the high, it's not a professional quality oil paint. So, so the oil is really critical. So I, I like certain brands of oil and I go in great detail about the different kinds of oil in my book, but I still always felt the need for speed. You know, I was like, you know, I don't want to paint with acrylic and I don't want to have this layer spend four days to dry. So I want to speed it up. And the chalk, by the way, the chalk speeds it up too. So the chalk makes it dry much, much faster. And I thought, oh, well, that's a bonus. You know, it's so it's almost dry to the touch. It's practically dry to the touch the next day, depending mm -hmm. on, you know, how much you use. And, um, so I have a cocktail of oil. So I have, you know, a good stand oil. I use an aged refined linseed oil that I love. <clears throat> and I have different, you know, you could use any refined linseed oil, but I like it. I'm going, I'm thinking of viscosity. So I like it when it's kind of runny. And then I have a boiled linseed oil from one of these Swedish paint makers that use it to cure wood furniture and ships and how, how stuff like that but that dries overnight. It just dries so fast, but you can't find it in an art store, but it has no additives in it. And it's really pure, although expensive to ship from Sweden, but whatever. Anyway, so I have a cocktail of oils that I want. I'm thinking of viscosity and speed. And I take a little cup from 
smart and final, which is a restaurant supply chain. It's what usually if you go to, there's a place around here in Hollywood called Pink's Hot Dogs, and you can get your ketchup in it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I very deliberately don't use porcelain or metal or anything special for the container of the medium, because then you'd have to wash it out and rinse it down the drain. So I'm super strategic about when things go in the drain and when things get disposed of and how to minimize anything going into the water supply and any, you know, so I use these little plastic ketchup things and I scoop up some, like about a tablespoon or two of chalk from my little cereal bin. That's right by my, Oh, great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Ken just held it up for those of you who can't see it and you just scoop up like, and then you add maybe one uh, maybe it's two to three. It's again, it's something that you tinker with of oil. And then I take a chopstick and now uh, some people, many people, when they demonstrate this technique to make the putty, they pour the chalk on the pallet table and then they put the oil on it. And then they take a pallet knife and they mix it in, which makes it very thick. And by the way, you can buy this pre-made in several, if people are getting hip to it now, like you can, you could not at the art store, but you could buy it like natural pigments has something called Velasquez medium. And, you know, there's different kinds of pre-made putties, which is just different combinations of oil and chalk. But I like to use the cup and the chopstick, which I swirl around really fast is because I'm aerating it in the process. And the the way oil painting dries is through oxidation, whereas solvent dries through evaporation. So by aerating it and adding more air into the mixture. So even though it's blended, it's got some air to it and it's a little bit more frothy. Mm-hmm. It can make it runnier. And I do like a fresh batch every day, you know, and then if I wait a day or two, it starts to become a little bit more, you know, goopy, mm-hmm. you know, it changes its texture, but I like that, you know, certain, there's certain times where I want the fresh feeling. There's other times when I want. Yeah. So um, so that's, that's basically what I do. So you, if, if, for people who are listening and they want to wean themselves off solvent, just get some chalk or marble dust and do like uh, two parts marble dust to one part oil, but you know, you can play with it. And again, it depends on the PVC of that chalk really. And it depends on how clear you want your paint to be. And mix it together with a chopstick. And then when you mix your color, pour a little bit onto the color that you've mixed and then mix the medium into the putty so that that becomes the transparency that you desire. The outside of what it is when it comes out of the tube. Um, If you do it, you know, when like a bird flies over, um, a beach and they like you tap the sand, you know, sometimes people will mix the color and that's all precious. And then they'll have the putty somewhere else. And then they dip it in that can get a little dicey because you can make your paints too oily. So I like to mix the putty into the color. Hmm. So essentially what you're saying is I'm just going to do a quick summary for everybody. 
So a mixture of chalk to oil creates a kind of putty that is essentially, chemically speaking, transparent paint. And mixing that transparent paint into your paint will reduce the pigment per square inch when you're, when you're uh, rubbing it across your, your painting surface. So if you're looking for those kinds of beautiful transparent effects that are created as if by solvent, but not by solvent, they could be created by using chalk as your transparency agent. And by creating uh, several variations on the palette, uh, you can even take the same pigment and cut it on your palette with different ratios of chalk. You can create various degrees of transparencies that you can use for the majority of painting techniques that we know and love from the classics. Exactly. And uh, you couldn't, you, you said it, I couldn't have said it better. So that was a perfect summary. And it also pulls into question the concept of fat over lean. Mm-hmm. Wait, before we get into that, I just want to okay. tell people, I just want to tell people um, that I'm going to be to those, to those of you who are interested to see how this is done visually and a demonstration of this technique. I have one planned for April 5th. So if you guys are listening to this before April 5th, sign up for my Patreon. I'm going to show you exactly how I do it. Uh, and if you're listening to it and it's after April 5th, that means the video is already up. So if you're <laughs> if you're curious about how this stuff looks like in practice, I'm going to be showing that uh, to all my students. And my preferred chalk is calcium carbonate just because I know it from my military days. And it's already up on the supply list also on my Patreon for this upcoming workshop. So everybody who wants to give this a go, this is like a perfect timing with this podcast coming together just as I'm about to do this kind of stuff. So it's all it's all just brilliant. Pardon the interruption, but remember how I just said we'd get to fat over lean later in the talk? Well, spoiler alert, we never did. And it's actually pretty important for understanding the subject at hand. So I come to you from the future to save the day. Here goes. Fat over lean is a critical principle to follow if you want your oil paintings to survive over time. So much so that it's sometimes dubbed the first rule of oil painting. The idea is simple. Paint your early layers leanly and your later layers progressively fattier and fattier. Hence the name fat over lean. The reason this is important is the fact fatty layers dry more slowly than lean layers do. So by not following this rule, you never let your painting fully dry on a deep chemical level. I'll explain. Linseed oil takes much longer to chemically dry than it takes to be dry to the touch. Therefore, painting a lean layer over a fatty layer would cause a hazardous situation wherein the lean layer dries fast on top of the fatty layer that's still not fully dry, chemically speaking. Now, why is this hazardous? Well, because the lean dry layer will prevent air from ever reaching the fatty layer, thereby never allowing it to fully dry. And eventually, this will result in cracks caused by oil seeping to the surface. You know those cracks you see in museums? Yes, those cracks exactly. Now, how does this relate to the subject at hand? Solvents and chalks and oils and all of that. I'll put it all together now. Let's acknowledge that painting with pure linseed oil is the fattiest way you could paint, which means if you use pure linseed oil as a medium in the early layers of your painting, you are violating fat over lean and thus condemning your piece to a very early demise. This is partially why we are all addicted to solvents in the first place. It's a way to loosen up the paint without making the layer fatty. 
think of painting with solvents as the absolute leanest possible technique, arguably too lean, which is exactly Kimberly's point. So how can we make our paint transparent, but also keep it lean so we can continue using it in the early layers of the painting without resorting to solvents? That's exactly where the chalk comes in. Chalk is 100% lean. So by cutting our linseed oil with chalk, we are creating a medium that is as lean as paint coming out of the tube, which is perfectly suitable for creating lean early layers and is thus optimal for both the longevity of the painting and the health of the painter. Hope this clarifies the issue. And now back to the talk. Were you, were you experimenting it with, with it before you read the book? Oh yeah, I love, I love it, but I have to, like full disclosure, it did not fully uh, wean me off of solvents. And perhaps, maybe perhaps we can get into that. So I do use chalk in my work and for many, many reasons, um, you know, it's a satisfying alternative for me. But as you said before, I'm addicted to the speed. Just but, addicted but, but to I the can speed. help you, Ken. I can okay, help, help me. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, no, let's, no, so, so let me provide my, my, my take and then tell me, tell me why I need to change my mind here. Okay. So for me, this, uh, m- the main issue that we're talking about here when it, comes to, when it comes to whether or not we can use, I can use chalk for what I use solvent for is, let's say I'm doing a portrait painting from life. If I'm doing a portrait painting from life, I need to get the underpainting done in five minutes. That's what I got. And 10 minutes after that, it needs to be semi-dry so that I can bang out the color immediately. I believe that um, portrait painting and painting from life didn't used to be a one sitting thing. And so that's, that's that, that is the issue. That is the issue. It used to be like, you know, when you look at those paintings of George Washington, he didn't just go there in an afternoon. It was like a weeks long event where he was going in every day because the paint would dry and then they'd add it on. And they used DeMar to speed up the drying time. Again, the need for speed. I know right? but that's exactly, that's exactly my point. Right. So my point is, there's, there's everything has pros and cons, right? And the, the degree of, of risk that you're willing to take to um, keep up with the modern demands for speed, it's kind of like, you know, cars pollute the planet. Horses didn't pollute it as much, but it didn't, they didn't go as fast. You know what I mean? So for me, whenever I don't need that speed, chalk does a great job. When I do need that speed and I can't convince a portrait competition that, you know, they would allow me to come back the next day and I got to finish that painting in a day. I can't keep up if I'm going to use chalk. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's just so to me, it, it to me, I believe that modern society and concept, you know, approaches to painting has and the material that we were all taught to use, which is solvent, has created this false sense of what the material is about. And that it needs to, that anything needs to be finished in a day. Like, I think that that then use acrylic, you know, or then use uh, egg tempura, you know, I prefer acrylic ink actually, which is a really, really nice. uh, I don't know if you've experimented with it, but to catch the layout and to do the underpainting using like a sepia water-based ink works deliciously. Oh yeah. No, I I think that's a great, I think that's a great um, thing. And then the other thing is because I, I think this is like, I don't want to, I don't want to get too nerdy here, but to me, there's, I've reverse engineered the different types of architectures of a painting. So if you look at painting from 
the side view. And if you could kind of expand the layers that are on top of it, it would look like you know, uh, Utah, it would have some areas would be really high and other areas would have be a river and a valley and, you know, and a la prima painting, like this whole concept of a la prima painting, which for me anyway, and I'm a contemporary artist, but there's just this whole vein of a la prima painters. And those paintings kind of look the same to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell an a la prima painting. You can just tell when something's an a la prima painting. And I believe that there's all whole schools devoted to teaching people how to paint a la prima. But the material doesn't want that. Acrylic for acrylic, fine. But the material that forces you to use solvent. So if you change the way you think about how to layer the paint and you are willing to give a day of drawing in between layers and at least do the basic architecture, which would be like toning and mapping. And then, and you know, you can map two different ways. You can either tone it and then use a rag to wipe away the highlights just to kind of draw and establish the scaffolding of the composition, you know, or you can tone it, let that dry and then add dark, you know, tone it. And while you're toning it, add darks to it or add darks to it. And then you want to go from dark to light because oil painting, as I'm sure so many of your listeners know, is you're adding light. Whereas with watercolor, you're subtracting light and you're using the surface, the light surface as the light source. But the cool thing about using oil and chalk and being patient and willing to, to listen to the what the material wants to do, which is not to be having done all in one sitting, is that you can create these amazing effects by combining using the canvas as a light source and using the paint as a light source. Mm-hmm. So you could have areas that are lighter, but transparent and glazed. And then other areas where you go dark and then you go light into it. And, you know, you and I both know that you would never paint a sky, you know, just by adding blue onto a white canvas. Mm-mm. You'd want it, you'd want it to be, you would want some sexy Indian red underneath or something to like make it, you know, I like the weirder and the more crazy cut, you know, colored, backgrounds, the better, like the more variety. I don't want one color in my tone because I'm going to be adding light on top of it. But with the chalk, you can, you can, it's, it's just, it's such a beautiful, it's really made me a better painter. This, cause I, it took me six months. I got a canvas pad. It was pre-primed canvas linen. And I like definitely like linen over cotton. And that's like a whole other thing that most people get the cotton because it's cheaper, but linen is so much better. It wants to be painted on, you know, but especially with linseed. Yeah. Yeah. Because the mother and child reunion, you know, that song by uh, Simon and Garfunkel, or was it Paul Simon, you know, mother child reunion, Mm because linseed oil is from the flax plant, which also makes linen. A lot of people, a lot of painters don't know that. You tell them that and they're amazed. Really? That's cool. Um, I think you're touching on something really important here that that goes beyond uh, how to explain it. I work with a lot of students and trying to convince people that patience is an integral part of the process, uh, especially in the environment in which we live today, is rough. 
right? So this is something that I would like to take the opportunity to try to hammer home once more is to say that it's true that we have a modern addiction to speed and we want things done immediately. And especially for people, like I have nothing but sympathy because me and you, we have the great privilege of being artists, right? So I can devote a day to doing the underpainting and I don't have to do it in 45 minutes, but to people who have kids and who have a day job and then they only have an evening to paint, uh, for them, using this technique might sound overly slow. And this is something that I don't know if we can fully resolve because- I have an answer. You have an answer. answer. Give it to us. I do. Because see, I teach painting too. Um, and you can go to, I think it's workshops.kimberlybrooks.com, but I teach painting too. And, um, I have my students because the first assignment that we do is a grisaille and we focus on the architecture is I have them start three canvases at once. They are never, they never don't have anything to paint. And I, I think it's very important when you're, um, working to, have the paintings that are in process facing the wall so you can't see them because well there's this scene in this movie this great movie by steve martin called the jerk where the lady is explaining how she gets ready and you know before she goes out and she's talking this is in the 80s or 90s like in la with her accessories she says she first walks out at before she's walking out the door she looks at the mirror really fast and whatever stands out she takes it off you know, like that she wants that first look experience. And I, I have that with my paintings. So I don't want to be staring at them while they're drawing. I turn turning them around is critical. And then when I turn them around and I look at them, then I usually instantly know what I want to do next. And the other reason why working on three paintings at once is so incredible is a, it gives you the space to work in layers and yet still be constantly painting or being able to just fill it in. But the other thing is it gives you, you know, everybody has a different creative personality and style. And some people like beginnings, some people like middles and other people like ends. So when I go into my studio, I don't want to start a new painting. I need to get, I need to get warmed up first. And my way of getting warming up is by turning over one of those paintings that are is drawing against the wall and re-entering a painting where the cerebral stuff has been sort of worked through a bit and I'm just sort of getting warmed up. I always begin paintings right before I'm leaving the studio because that's when I'm like, I've been painting all day and I'm the freshest. And I always begin at the end of the day, Hmm. which is also why the brush cleaning is such an important part to think about because a, I don't want to do it at the end of the day. I don't want to deal with it. I want to paint because that's when I get on. That's when I've been, I've been like, my brain is like a helium balloon floating in the sky above my head. And I, I'm the most creative and in it. And I want to like be as imaginative and um, untethered as possible. And, and so that's why I just get, I, and going back to a zero waste, um, experience is I no longer use paper towels to wipe off my brushes. I use watercolor paper, like smooth water, you know, rough watercolor paper. And I layer that and layer that. So I'm never 
putting any in the trash and they make the most beautiful abstract things. And then I, I cut them in, into cards when they're dry and I make them like bookmarks when I give the book. I think I gave one to you. That's right. That's you right. Know? Yeah. And so that's, that's a new thing that I didn't put in the book that I regret that I didn't put in the book because it's been this, I literally don't have waste now, you know, even when I'm like wiping off a color. And so I wipe off the color and then I rest it in safflower oil and then get, take that off in the morning when I come in. So I'm saving all that juicy hour when I'm about to leave. So, so, so anyway, what, how'd I do? Did I convince you? Did I give um, you some trip to tick uh, some, some, did I give you some tips that will help you get, lose the need for speed within one painting in a day? Um, see, that's what I'm trying to say. So for me, I I'm not under the, I'm not under the gun, like a lot of other people, right? Cause I, I get to have a day. I get to have two days. I get to have three days. So for me, what's, what's most important is to make sure that everybody has all the requisite information to make an informed decision, right? I'm not, uh, per- perhaps we are different in that sense that I don't, I don't feel any kind of advocacy around this kind of stuff. But for my, for my personal practice, I don't know yet because there are things, and you, I think you alluded to them when you said specific visual effects, specific visual effects um, that solvents create that I'm just very strongly attached to, especially that but, moment. But they can happen, but they're not going to happen above the first. The, almost never do I need solvent beyond the bottom layer. Oh, you know? surely, surely. Because because surely. because you're really you only need the chalk to create the transparency later, right? No, that, so okay. So for me, solvent is the most crucial for the earliest marks of the piece. Like very, very often I would stop using solvents for the duration of the full piece two hours in. Right. That's that's my practice, even if whether or not. Oh, the, but it's so bad for you. So let's get into it. So let's get So let's get into it. And it like uh, causes like I was talking to a painter the other day who she said my mom It was a friend of my mom's. And she said, oh, yeah, I gave Brooke your book, but she paints with acrylic. And I said I talked to her. I said, let me talk to her. She said I said, what have you ever tried oil? She said I used to paint with oil, but that's how I got the blood cancer that made me stop, you know, like. You doing something every day that's bad for you and inhaling that unless you're going to, and they don't offer the dust mask, the, the COVID mask that we wear, those don't protect you from the solvent. Those, and they don't sell the kind of mask at the art store that you need to protect yourself from solvent exposure. They don't sell it. Those are the kinds that make you look like a fly, you know, with the filters on the side. So you really want to paint wearing the fly mask, like you're being, you know, in a bomb shelter. It's crazy. So. Again, um, <laughs> I I agree with <laughs> I agree with you that uh, safe safe practices are of paramount importance, and I think I also have uh, the luxury of being an incredibly clean painter uh, with everything I do, and that maybe we can get into it when you said a different podcast on lead. Book it, um, <laughs> but, but when it when it when it comes to when it comes to my use of solvent and. I'm actually happy to get into a back and forth about this because, you know, it's, it's, it's important that, that I also get things right. Um, but perhaps you can go into, but are you talking about like the atmospheric quality? Like I'm looking right to the left of you and I see a painting mm-hmm. 
behind you and I see like an atmospheric quality around the head, for example, is Mm -hmm. that what you need solvent for? No, this, this painting specifically, we're talking to those of us listening. uh, There's an underpainting sketch after Bougaro that's uh, hung up right behind me. And it's an underpainting I'm just doing to like warm up. This is kind of how I do my warmups and it is done with both solvent and chalk. Now, the reason why I need the, the, <laughs> and, Kim, and Kimberly is just like jaw drop surprised. That no, I, no, I, I just gave him a look like, but why solvent? Ha- okay. So for me, the, the requirement for, for speed doesn't have to do necessarily with my, uh, it's not like this is a commission that I need done by tomorrow, but what I need is I have a format and I want to get my layout done in 10 minutes as quick as I can. Once I do, once I do, then I can completely close off the solvent bottle and just use chalk. That's totally a possibility for okay, me. And that's uh, exactly how I worked on this thing. Wait, wait, one second. Uh, just to, for, for the people listening, because I know you caught on to what I'm trying to say, but we have thousands of people who haven't. Uh, so for me, what I need to do at the very beginning is kind of like, where does the head end? Where does the shoulder end? What are the large shape? Block all that stuff in. And the, the, what the solvent does when, when it interacts with the brush is it allows me to make these really, really long strokes that are going to be materially inconsequential when I get into the depth of, of, of trying to actually model the form and get into the specifics. Now, I can load up my brush with a lot of solvent, which will later disappear from the surface of my painting. But when I load up my brush with a lot of chalk, it leaves a material textural residue onto my surface that becomes materially significant. Like even if I touch the, the, the dark part of the coat right now on the painting, it's a little bit ridgy because of the presence of chalk that is there to provide a transparency agent, right? So if I'm not sure about where my marks are supposed to be and I'm still searching for it, I don't want to make any mark that is going to have texture to it, that is going to hold me to it later. I want to make, I want to make marks that have zero texture. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm suspicious. The top, the chalk dissolves and becomes transparent and it has no texture. The only thing that has texture that I like to use when I want to create a impasto instead of say wax, for example, is powdered Venetian glass, which is very amazing. But if you're having texture, you're either using the, a a weird kind of calcium carbonate or you're, are you using it raw? No, I'm mixing it in. Yeah, you're putty. mixing it in. I don't know. I mean, I, I would say, and like I was, so let's go, let's go with the thought, the need for speed, right? You just want speed and you don't want texture, which I totally relate to. I'm always telling my students, like, don't create things that you're going to have to fight later on that under layer. So I totally get it. Um, but the act of weaning yourself off solvents entirely is to, um, and I believe you could, and I, cause it's, it's a, it's like breaking a habit. It's like breaking a habit, you know? And it took me, like I said, it took me six months to break the habit and more and more, I stopped relying on the speed and the evaporation rate that was going right into my lungs of solvent. And, and I was able to get the same specificity of effects in my under painting and it but it required more like if you're if if this quick act is like a stanza of a poem i'm suggesting of instead kind of writing you know 
a couple paragraphs. And it's just sort of a hard to think of. It's it's all it's almost like you're dancing with a different art form when you when you truly wean yourself off solvents. And it just takes time. Like so many people have that have been through my program have said how it's changed their lives. They don't have any solvent anymore. They don't have any need for it anymore because I, you know, I really, really believe that oil doesn't ultimately, you know, solvent is only needed to dissolve resins and it solvent drives by evaporation. It doesn't drive by oxidation. So it's not good for the film of the painting. So I, I feel your pain. I feel your, I don't have pain. <laughs> well, I feel your resistance because I was right there with you. I was trying everything I could to not have to give up solvents. You know, I still like I have a bottle with a with a dropper on it, you know, just in the back, like hidden as if it's like marshmallows. And I don't want to know that they're there because I'll eat them all or a candy bar. But I think I think your your students and you, I would love for you to just try to slowly wean yourself off solvent, you know, I, I, it's a, and, and I, you know, I, it's like, I, it's no, no, my no. crusade because if you go into an art school, if you go to Yale, if you go to any MFA program or any school and you walk into a room full of people that are painting the way that you're painting, you no 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 don't, pass don't, out. no 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 this. Okay. Let's slow down. I, I respect your crusade. <laughs> and and I also agree with you that it's way better for the longevity of both the person and the painting. That stuff's not in dispute, not okay. in dispute. Okay. Um, I just I, but I but I, I strongly reject the, the premise that if people were painting like me, somebody might, um, you know, feel that negative consequence that you walk into uh, that you feel when you walk into a classroom of of people in art school because they really don't they don't pay attention to that stuff at all. And all you feel in the air is like a strong sense of turpentine and turpenoid and all those like horrifically toxic uh, materials. So when I paint with solvent, I know you want to eliminate solvent altogether, but I do pay attention to only work with those solvents that are marked the safest options. So I mean, I, but the, the only one that has the lowest evaporation rate is odorless minerals. Yeah, I'm using Gamsol and yeah. I'm using spike oil. And those okay. Well, spike oil is that's another podcast. That's, that's a whole po- other. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm that's happy. a whole book, other subject because book that spike, one too. Yeah, book. because spike oil is very very powerful. Okay. It's, <clears throat> go ahead. Now, I want I want to go into a larger larger okay. philosophical point here. Uh, and so again, just to reiterate, not in dispute that working without solvent is safer for the person and for the longevity of the painting. All that is right, but for me. The, 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 the most responsible thing to do is to provide all the evidence to people such that they can elect, if they choose to, to engage in any practice that they deem appropriate for their own lifestyle. Like, for example, I am vegan, right? I could go on on the crusades on like how bad that is for the environment, how bad that is for health, how bad that is for, you know, every, and I feel very, very strongly about it because I used to really, really love meat. I still miss it a lot. But I chose this path because my the, the, the sacrifice that I needed to make in order to um, to to get longevity and health and all, all those things that that worked for me. But I'm not going to be that kind of vegan that tells everybody whenever they eat a hamburger next to me, like, oh, you need to stop. Oh, you need to stop. You need to stop. What I want to make sure to do is if they want the information, 
I'm happy to assist. You know what I mean? But I, I just want to make sure that people who choose to use solvent understand the dangers, understand that they are, you know, volunteering to do something that is that is not perfectly safe. If they choose to do it, there are options that are not as worse as other options. And if they do choose to, they should they should limit the use of it, but whatever works for them. So I I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Again, and again, I, I totally respect it. It's just a different different kind of like philosophical framework because at the end of the day, nobody here is going to live forever, right? So it's up to us to, to decide for ourselves what kind of sacrifices are we willing to make and what, what's the gain on the other side. Uh, but do you, do you concede at least that using a little bit of Gamsol at the beginning of a painting is not as bad as having turpentine open for the duration of the process? I can see that. I think you're resisting the, you know, I, I, I feel, I think that if you think of painting differently, if you're willing to, if you think of painting as not an acrylic activity that dries quickly and then dries in a day, and you think of painting in layers that you don't need solvent because the, the chalk doesn't add texture. And I, I mean, I'm also the more bossy type of person. Like I'm like, this is my personality. I, I'm the kind of person was like, this is how you should do it. You know? So, but I, and I also think, you know, you're a young guy and you're a healthy, you're a vegan, you know, you're, you're doing everything right. But when you get older, it adds up, it's cumulative. You know, those, those, even those, if it's just you and your studio and a little bit of solvent every morning, whenever you do every day, anything that you're going to do every day, it's going to add up. And so I think that if you can embrace the idea that oil paintings weren't necessarily that the material itself wasn't meant to be done in a day that you can wean yourself off solvent. And like I said, I did lots of experiment with these canvas pads because I didn't believe a that the adding chalk would actually be clear. I thought it would make the colors lighter, but instead it extends it. And then I experimented with all the different oils because I, sometimes I want the oil to be runny. Sometimes I want it to be gooey. Sometimes I want it to be thick. You know, I'm, I'll never forget one day with a long time ago, like I was trying to dry a painting and I was using wax. I was using Dorland's wax, which has solvent in it, by the way. And I thought, oh, I want this to dry faster. So I let it dry in the sun and it like melted all the ridges and things, I made. <laughs> you know, so I've tried everything. I've made every mistake. And I, um, and, you know, there's something so, yeah, I, so yeah, I concede that you're addicted. <laughs> No, I'm teasing. No, I'm no, teasing. that's good. Let's, let's, uh, so, so, and, and again, I, I just don't want it to be, you know, I don't want to leave anybody confused. I do believe that for everybody who's willing to to commit to 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 this way of 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 doing things, they're going to be better off. They're going to be better off, no doubt. And very importantly uh to me and po possibly to you as well and this might be a good segue, this is how most of the masters worked. So, being a huge fan of the old masters as all my listeners know and from reading your writings, I, I assume you are as well. How was it like for you to discover that the old masters were actually working without solvent? Uh, what was that emotionally for you? Well, I, like I said, when when they updated the making of a Rembrandt, I thought it was like it was on fire. I just opened up. If you just go to like page three of the introduction, it says, hey, 
I know we released this book in 1990, whatever. And, you know, and we said, this is, this were the substances, but now we've got better cameras and it actually, there's no resin in there. I was like, well, I wanted to go run outside and hold the book up in the middle of the street, you know? So, but, and it's interesting because in uh, Leonardo, I'm rereading Leonardo da Vinci's treatise on painting, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because, you know, it's, it was, it's an aggregation of his notes and he's making this big argument that painting is a science, it, you know, and there, there's so many things that he says in it that are curious and um, unexpected, but he does have a passage where he's talking about the use of Sandorak and spike as a toning mechanism, which sort of led people onto the oil of spike crate, you know, this sort of idea, oh, well, you could use spike oil as a substitute because, you know, they, they had various types of solvents. It's a natural solvent, you know, and it's got an oil-like quality. So it's curious, but it's extremely strong. And there's a lot of people marketing products with it as a, like to say, it's almost like saying it's organic or it's healthy, you know, when it's not necessarily. And if you were to use actual spike of lavender oil, it would be so prohibitively expensive, you know, and he only did it in the toning area, but, you know, they were all experimenting like next door to where they were cutting open the bodies for the anatomy sketches, you know, it was just like a big lab. So, um, so, you know, I, I felt, well, the bottom line is I felt vindicated, but then of course I had to, you know, I had to meet with scientists to further, you know, cause I had to get out of the, I had to move away from just the literature about it. That's from artists, you know, and, and hit it against organic chemists. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah. and what, and what's, uh, so what's the takeaway from these, from these chemists when you're, when you're dealing with pure lavender spike oil, what would be, what would be the downsides of that? Aside from the fact that my entire house smells like lavender sometimes, which is disadvantageous for different reasons. It's not good for you. How so? It's still a solvent. It's spike. It's not good for you to breathe in that solvent. It, it, you'll notice, like, I remember the first time I thought I would try it as a substitute. I was like, whoo, this is strong. You know, it's like got that menthol camphor, like super, super strong. And I thought this, because I tried to use just that when I was initially, it was one of my many, many experiments of trying to wean myself off solvent. I thought this is still a solvent. And I do use it. I, I do use it. Um, but by the drop, you know, occasionally just to, but I don't really need to, and it can cause yellowing. And so there's it's not the, it's not the substitute that you're looking for and that it's been marketing very effectively as a substitute, but it's really, it's, it's really something that should be experimented with, but it shouldn't be your go-to everyday thing. But is there anything besides how, how it makes us feel? Cause that's, that's along the anecdotal route, right? Like besides the fact that it, it feels very strong, but also you know, smelling vodka feels very strong. The question is like, are, do we actually have studies that demonstrate the damage that this kind of material does? Cause if so, I would, I would love to put my hands on them. I will. 
have to get back to you and go through my notes on that. I would just say that there has been um, a movement in the art materials world to promote it as a substitute. Mm-hmm. And you have to, I'm going to keep saying it, solvents are around to dissolve resins, not to thin oil. So if most people that are painting today, especially doing a la prima, they're not even using resin, but they're still using solvent. So they're using a material that isn't even designed to do what it's supposed to do just because it makes the paint more watery. Right. But my, and so, and so, so spike of lavender oil is a solvent. And when you mix it with oil, it's going to make it more runny, but it's still dry, you know, not chemically. They're not friends. It's not friends in the same way that um, it's not as healthy as not using it. Of course, of course. The, 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 the reason that I'm asking is because I'm, vi- okay, I'm a very analytical person. So for me, we have a separate set of concerns and I'm trying to avoid jumping around between them. We have longevity of the painting and what is chemically advantageous for that, fully conceded, right? If you use that, you choose to make your painting less, uh, you, you choose to reduce the longevity of your painting. That is, that is correct. And the, the argument about the reason why it started also totally conceded because I know that, that it started as, as, a, as a way to dilute resins. But also we need to remember that oil painting started as a way of slowing down tempera, right? If we look at the, at the origin story of how oil painting started, it started with tempera grassa. People were painting with tempera and they, they discovered that by adding a little bit of oil to your tempera, you can slow down the drying time, slow down the drying time until eventually they were like, oh, we can just take the egg out and just work with this oil. So I don't feel the need to start using oil as a way of slowing down tempera just because that's how it originally came into being. So the original purpose is an argument that I don't find persuasive because a lot of things get repurposed when when new applications are discovered, knowing that by doing this, of course, you're choosing to reduce the longevity of your painting, all that set aside. What I'm most interested in, I, I think you are as well, is the health of the painter, the health of, 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 the, of the person. And that's, that's kind of what I was asking about um, with regard to the spike oil, because when I look for evidence of what this actually causes to the human body, I can't find enough data. Okay, so let so the oil, the paint manufacturing and the and the industry is like the size of a little teeny rock and then the elephant is the textile industry. Mm. So we're like like every day they're making new colors that have never been seen before in nature. You know, if you think about that, like there's literally a, like today, right now, this minute, there's being a color invented somewhere in some lab that has never even been seen by the human eye before in that particular way. And it's brightness and everything because of what chemistry can do. And so we're like the, we're like the ignored kid brother, you know, we're like the ignored orphan child of the textile industry in terms of thoughtfulness towards materials. So people aren't spending time thinking about how to make, I mean, you know, the lead again, we're going to do a podcast on lead white. We'll do Mm -hmm. that another day, but, but like, so there's not, there hasn't been studies done 
on many of these things. They did classify a type of illness in, in Holland called painter's dementia because of people using solvent. And then they start to get Parkinson's and it causes leukemia and lymphoma. And, you know, like there's over time, Bob Ross died of lymphoma, you know, and he was always sloshing around and tapping this leg with his, with his brush. And but do we know what solvent he was using? I don't want to put them all in the same category. He was using turpentine. He was not. He wasn't using OMS, I believe. I don't know if it was around then. Yeah, everybody should stop using turpentine as of now. Yeah, like yeah. everybody. And should stop. so he he died of lymphoma, which um, is is one of the causes of solvent exposure. I don't believe they've done a specific study on the um, reactions of exposure to spike of lavender solvent. And I'll, I'm going to look into that, but I do know that that dizziness you're feeling, there's a reason why you're feeling a little dizzy. And I felt dizzy too. Like it gets in your lungs. And I mean, it's like gets into your sinus passages and your sinus passages are a bunch. I mean, we should know, by the way, ever since the pandemic, like the stuff that goes in the, your airways, it can, it goes then into your blood and your body and your brain. So anything that's going to get into your blood and your body and your brain by being exposed to those tissues, it's just better to avoid it. And so the chalk and the oil, and some people say, oh, but what about, you know, for your lungs? Now I did all sorts of experiments. Like people say, well, what about the chalk, the dust? Well, I have a, I have like one of those cereal containers that you get at Target with the suction lid, you know, and I have a little scooper in there and I never leave that open and I don't have enough wind in my studio to cause it to become aerosolized. And when I was doing my experiments with wanting to create impasto effects, I was using powdered Venetian glass, which was developed, you know, by the Italians, obviously, because, you know, Venice. And that's an incredible way to create texture if you want to get an impasto effect without using, say, Dorland's wax, which has solvent in it. Like that's still when you open up a can of wax, you smell the solvent. And then beeswax, you'd have to kind of uh, tinker with. But you wouldn't want to breathe in powdered glass because that causes black lung disease, you know. But that powdered glass is too heavy. The, the glass that's very dangerous is fumed silica. And I think this would be a great, um, but and fume silica, but is when you mix it with oil, it creates a gel. And that is a great medium if you've never tried it. And natural pigments has a brand that I love called Oleo gel. There's different people now are getting hip to making gels now, and it's the least yellowing of all the mediums. And it creates like a, a very, very light, um, clear medium. And I use that to oil out, to go back into a painting. Like I use like a pea, like the smallest size you can even imagine. And then it creates like a layer that if I'm going back into a painting, you know, how I said, like, I like working on middles, right. In the beginning of the day, I turn it around and I'll just, if I'm going to go into an area of a painting and I want, I don't want the paint that I'm applying to get so affixed to what's underneath it, that if I want to wipe it away or whatever, it's going to, you know, make a, a watermark or like a ghost figure, you know, I'm let's say being a little chicken or <laughs> like that. Um, 
I can't recommend that highly enough, but you don't want to breathe that. You don't want to breathe that fume silica. Literally it's like that, that causes black lungs. So you buy it pre-made. That's the only one I would say you just buy it pre-made. And I want to, I want to follow up on this endorsement and also say that by working in this way, uh, this also prevents a kind of problem that, that a lot of people have where they, they try to interfere with a painting uh, introducing new brush marks. And when it's wet, it kind of looks like it's all coming together, but then you come back the next day and it, it, it dries differently. And, and, and those new marks feel like they're floating on top of the painting surface, as opposed to incorporating into everything that was painted so far by doing the same, uh, by, by doing the oil painting with a clear gel, as you described, you discover that when you come back to it the next day, your new marks are way more visually incorporated into the Absolutely. old marks. And it, it just, it just makes the whole painting process way smoother. And yeah, yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, it, it's controversial though. There are people say that when, if you, if you oil out with just pure oil, then your painting's going to become too fat. It's going to become too oily and it'll start to yellow. But like a lot of the yellowing that happened with oil paintings of the 20th century and the 19th and 20th century is because of the way gas lamps affected interacted with the resin isn't mm -hmm. that interesting which Fascinating. I think, like, that, that's why it got really brown is because it was before electricity and the chemical reaction of the gas being burned in everybody's homes made the paintings really brown it's kind of a curious little anecdote yeah uh, Kimberly, we didn't even talk about color today. No, I, I know. I, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I have like notes of all the stuff I wanted to talk to you about, and there's so much of it. And so I wanted to ask if you, if you'd agree to come on again, cause I want to be respectful of your time. And I know you said hour, an hour and a half, and we're like borderline on that time. So I don't want to like steal you away from, from your important work, but, but there's more that I would love to discuss if that's okay with you. I would love to. I would love to. Fantastic. So Kimberly, maybe you can tell everybody where they can get this absolutely amazing book that I cannot recommend highly enough. Everybody should read it. It's fantastic. Tell us where we can get it and where we could find more about you. Um, you can find everything on my website, KimberlyBrooks.com. And the book is available wherever books are sold. So um, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, most libraries carry it. Most uh, even, you know, most bookstores carry it, the ones that still exist. Um, so just go on Amazon or, you know, anywhere you can, it's, it's published by Chronicle books. And, um, if you're interested in learning about the type of oil painting, that's, that is less about the immediacy of like doing it in one sitting and more about truly layering, then you can go to workshops.kimberlybrooks.com. Yeah. And I'm going to come to your April 5th event. <laughs> Oh yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I would yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. So th that is the new oil painting, your essential guide to materials and safe practices by Kimberly Brooks. That this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. So as you heard, I ran out of time with Kimberly to fully put this question to rest. So I want to take a moment to summarize the issue as best I can and to clarify my own position. Kimberly and I fully agree that solvents are detrimental to both the health of the painter and the longevity of the painting. We disagree on whether chalk body can provide exactly the same effect solvents can, specifically on the topics of paint looseness and surface texture. I hope you'll indulge me as I get technical for just a moment. First, on the topic of paint looseness. Even using pure linseed oil does not loosen oil paint as much as solvent does. 
Now, by adding chalk to linseed oil in order to make it lean and suitable for early layers, the resulting putty is even less loose than pure linseed oil. Therefore, it is easy to conclude that chalk putty is not nearly as loose as solvent. This means that when you pull a line with chalk putty, it will be shorter than a line pulled with pure linseed oil, and both will be significantly shorter than a line pulled with solvent. The same is true on the question of texture. A stroke of oil paint leaves texture in equal proportion to the amount of material applied to the surface, because oil paint does not evaporate. Chalk putty is essentially transparent oil paint, so in much the same way, a stroke of chalk putty also leaves texture in equal proportion to the amount of material applied to the surface, because chalk putty does not evaporate. Even a stroke of pure linseed oil will create texture in direct proportion to the amount of material applied to the surface, because linseed oil also does not evaporate. Solvent does evaporate. So incorporating solvent into paint means the overall volume of material will decrease as the solvent disappears from the surface of the painting. This is why solvent reduces surface texture and chalk body does not. These effects are very important to my practice and a tiny amount of solvent is all I need in order to achieve them. Also, as I mentioned prior, I only use the two safest solvents in existence, Gamsol and Lavender Spike Oil. If using a tiny amount of the safest solvents is the price I have to pay to continue painting a la prima and to continue using these effects in my work, then so be it. I also suspect that if you gave any of the old masters a bottle of Gamsol, they wouldn't hesitate to use it, but I guess we'll never know. To conclude, I want to clarify that I am not a solvent advocate. Kimberly and I differ only in that she is in the eliminate solvents entirely camp and I'm in the reduce solvents as much as you can camp. My camp actually includes her camp, and I'm really glad she's doing what she's doing. I think it's incredibly important work, and if you can paint without solvents, you definitely should. I hope you benefited from this episode, and if you did, please share it with your artsy friends who need help with their terpenoid habits. Take good care of your health. You'll be glad you did. Thank you for joining me. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to see it grow, please take a moment to subscribe, rate it highly, and share it with a friend. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show and have access to exclusive content, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash kengoshen. For online lessons, please visit kengoshen.com slash lessons. Thanks again, and see you next time.